Tēnā no mai, haere mai. My name is Will Appleby and you're listening to Animal Matters. We're one month down for 2021 already and it's looking like we're in for another rollercoaster of a year. New Zealand has had its first confirmed case of COVID in the community this year when a woman tested positive for the coronavirus after returning two negative tests while in managed isolation. A further two cases were found that all link back to the same source. They are of the highly transmissible South African variant, which is, you know, just great. Joe Biden became president, finally, after a pretty non-eventful inauguration, which you would expect considering there were tens of thousands of National Guard troops in Washington, D.C., but it was a little surprising considering that very few Trump supporters showed up or caused trouble. I suppose they're well and truly spooked now that the FBI are prosecuting those involved in the Capitol riots. And last week, parts of the country had record-breaking temperatures. A heatwave that couldn't come a few weeks earlier while we were on holiday, which is just classic Aotearoa style. Why is this important? Well, besides the fact that we had pretty rubbish weather during the Christmas and New Year's holiday period, hot weather can have a massive impact on animals. And there were greyhounds racing in this weather last week. Also, climate change is known to be a contributor to extreme weather events, but that's a discussion for another day, and one that I'm not nearly qualified to comment on. But there's also that. Anyway, two weeks ago, parts of Canterbury were forecast to reach as high as 36 degrees. Christchurch reached 37.1 degrees. Akaroa peaked at 38 degrees, its hottest temperature ever recorded. Cheviot hit 39 degrees. Ashburton and Tamuka made it to the top 10 temperatures of all time in New Zealand, with 40.2 and 40.1 degrees respectively. For the record, the hottest temperature in recorded history in New Zealand was 42.3 degrees in Rangiora in 1973. And I'm talking Celsius, obviously. The Wednesday was also incredibly hot, but only peaked at 35.8 degrees in Christchurch. So, a few things here. Any animals not given access to shade would have been suffering, big time. But most relevant to this discussion is there was a greyhound racing meet scheduled in Christchurch on the Tuesday when we hit those massive temperatures. And racing greyhounds in hot weather puts them at significant risk of dehydration and heat stress. A 2016 study of 229 racing dogs in Australia showed that the core body temperature after racing had increased considerably to equal or exceed critical levels when the ambient temperature averaged 31.2 degrees Celsius. The normal body temperature range for a greyhound is 38 to 39.3 degrees, but can increase to equal or exceed critical levels of 41.5 degrees when they're raced in hot temperatures. In addition, 39% of the dogs recorded a body temperature exceeding that 41.5 degree critical level when the ambient temperature reached 38 degrees. During a race, animals will exert considerable energy and increase their core body temperature. When air temperature is high the risk of heat stress is greatly increased. Prolonged and untreated heat stress can lead to dehydration, collapse and death. Now to be fair, they shifted the races to earlier in the day and we didn't reach those peak temperatures until later in the afternoon. 
but it was still very hot. Thankfully, there were no deaths or injuries reported due to the heat. But it would have been stressful. Now, it goes without saying that racing greyhounds is an exploitative exercise. It's cruel, it can lead to injury and death, and it leaves those that survive with behavioural problems, which make them hard to rehome. But what about the other side of greyhound racing? The moneymaker. The reason for it to exist in the first place. Gambling. Glenn McConnell, a journalist and columnist at Stuff, wrote a piece last week about the seedy side of gambling and the damage it does to our community. The following is an excerpt of what he wrote. My view on greyhound racing, and horse racing too, isn't due to any obsession with animals. The arguments against these forms of racing, but greyhounds especially, are overpowering. They're pointless forms of sport, bringing pain to the animals and also supporters. They're sports which feed off compulsive gamblers, turning their families' sorrows into cash for the racing industry's elite. There's no two ways about it, sadly. Horse and dog racing isn't about sport, and it's barely a form of entertainment. It's a morally bankrupt industry working hard to make a penny from bankrupting its own supporters. He then goes on to talk about the scale of problem gambling. A Department of Internal Affairs report found that less than 2% of the country had a gambling problem. Which sounds okay, McConnell said, only because most of the country doesn't bet on anything other than lotto. When it comes to the TAB's customers, casino and pokey players, those involved in what the department calls high-risk gambling, Internal Affairs reckons up to 30% of gamblers have a problem. The department also says that published figures tend to underestimate the problem gambling, so that figure could be higher. The risks of problem gambling does not just stop at losing money. The department says it snowballs, affecting families and businesses. Gambling addiction can lead to poor mental health, future addictions and suicide. It affects both the wealthy and the poor. Why is this all important? Well, McConnell argues, and I tend to agree, The only reason greyhound racing and horse racing exists is for gambling. As animal rights activists, it can be easy to focus solely on the issues facing animals. I'm guilty of that also. When I first read Glenn McConnell's article, I thought, great column. It's a shame it doesn't talk more about animal welfare. We're usually the only ones sticking up for animals, so it is important we make sure they have a voice by using our own. But on further reflection... It is important, I think, to recognise the harm gambling causes. Greyhound racing is one of those issues where the exploitation of non-human animals and human animals intersect. The industry is exploiting dogs, putting them at risk so they can exploit gamblers, putting them at risk of addiction, poor mental health and financial pressure. There really is no excuse for this industry to continue. So, cage eggs are bad. There's no denying that. Birds raised in colony cages live awful lives, with barely enough room to open their wings. Considering how cruel it is to confine layer hens to cages, many non-vegans consider free-range eggs a solution. Happy eggs laid by happy hens, right? Well, free-range has its problems as well. It goes without saying, eggs are laid by female chickens. So what happens to the male chicks that are hatched in the egg industry? Every year, millions of new baby chicks are hatched and raised for the egg industry. 
50% of those chicks are inevitably going to be male. Many people assume that those male chicks are then raised for the meat industry, but that's not the case. We've talked about broiler chickens a lot on Animal Matters, or chickens that are bred for their meat. These chickens have been specifically bred for their meat. They grow incredibly quickly, reaching their slaughter weight in five to six weeks. They're still babies at this age. Chickens raised for their eggs are a different breed, and aren't considered suitable for the meat industry. And vice versa, chickens raised for their meat aren't considered suitable for the egg industry. So in the egg industry, 4 million male chicks are newly hatched every year with no use for them. So, they're killed. Warning, the way they're killed isn't pleasant either, so I recommend you skip ahead a bit if you feel the need. They're killed either by gassing or a process called maceration, where the chick is minced and shredded alive. This has been standard practice in the egg industry for decades, and it's one that most people aren't aware of. But it doesn't have to be that way. Not anymore, anyway. Back in 2016, the head of the Poultry Industry Association said they were keeping a close eye on emerging technology, which could stop male chicks in the egg industry having to be killed. In ovo sexing technology is a process where hatcheries can identify the sex before the egg is hatched. Those eggs containing male chicks can then be disposed of early during incubation and used for things like pet food. This wouldn't completely absolve the egg industry. They're still exploiting chickens for their eggs, but it would mean 4 million day-old chicks wouldn't be brutally killed every year. Anyway, Michael Brooks, the executive director of the Poultry Industry Association, said that if the technology was proven effective, then the industry would adopt it. Now it seems like the technology is viable. Last month, Germany announced it will be the first country to outlaw the killing of male chicks from next year. France has also pledged to do the same. They plan to make the transition by 2022. And the association representing the largest egg producers in Italy committed to doing the same in December. They will all use in ovo sexing technology. So when will it come to New Zealand? Not any time soon, it turns out. Yes, despite the egg industry saying four years ago that they would adopt the technology, they want the technology to be tested first. So I guess Germany is their test case. The clock is ticking though. In a year, Germany will have fully adopted this technology. And if it works, New Zealand will have to front up and adopt it too. Moving on from chickens bred for their eggs... You might recall over a year ago in November 2019, a power cut on a chicken farm led to the death of 180,000 chickens bred for their meat. It's understood that one or more disasters occurred, possibly including a power cut, ventilation failure, backup generator failure and an alarm failure may have caused the deaths. 14 months on and the investigation is still ongoing. The Ministry for Primary Industries said COVID-19 had impacted the investigation and it was essential the chicken death inquiry was thorough. John Weeks, formerly a journalist at Stuff but now with the New Zealand Herald, broke the story originally and in a follow-up story last month he spoke to Marcelo Rodriguez Ferrer, an animal law expert who has previously spoke to Animal Matters. Marcelo reckons MPI have nowhere near enough inspectors. It makes sense in some ways, Marcelo said, that it would be a lengthy investigation, considering the massive loss of life. That said, 14 months is insanity 
For an investigation to take that long is really just far too long. It's entirely due to a lack of resources. He makes a good point. We have nearly 100 million farmed animals in New Zealand, but barely two dozen dedicated inspectors. Mika Whaitiri, Associate Minister of Agriculture and responsible for animal welfare, told the Herald in an ideal world she would have more inspectors. But again, she blamed COVID for the lack of resourcing. One last point. Whaitiri said future budgets could provide more money for inspectors. And she viewed animal welfare as a key priority for the government. A key government priority, huh? Well, thanks for that. We'll hold you to that one. To continue the theme of MPI incompetence, they really ended up with scrambled tofu on their face last month, so to speak. In November, Northland farmer Derek Robinson was convicted with breaching animal welfare laws at a rodeo. The case was brought by the New Zealand Animal Law Association in a private prosecution because MPI wouldn't take it on. The two events that Robinson was found guilty for involved steers used for a team roping competition. While waiting in the chute, the animals became distressed and knelt down on the ground. Both animals had no room to move away and wouldn't stand when cowboys tried to get them up. In such a situation, the Rodeo Code of Welfare requires that the animals must be released by opening the gate. Instead, Robinson shocked the animals with an electric prod, which jolted them and caused them to stand up in pain. They were then sent into the arena and chased by two cowboys on horseback. The incident was caught on camera by activists who reported them to MPI. MPI chose to issue a warning, despite one of its inspectors recommending a prosecution. So fast forward to last month, Robinson was sentenced and fined just shy of $3,000. It's disappointing though that the judge chose not to ban Robinson from competing in rodeos or looking after animals. So he's free to treat animals as he pleases without proper scrutiny. One thing is for certain though, it was absolutely the wrong call for MPI not to prosecute. It should never be left to charities to enforce our animal welfare laws. But for the New Zealand Animal Law Association, it's a success. Hopefully their success sends a clear message to MPI and they don't have to step in to enforce New Zealand's animal welfare laws again. Thank you for listening to Animal Matters. This podcast is brought to you by Safe for Animals, New Zealand's leading animal rights organisation and produced by myself, Will Appleby. Make sure you subscribe to stay across Animal Matters on whatever your favourite podcast platform is. If you're listening on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners to find the show. Until next time, Matewa.